You're listening to a CNA podcast. If you're looking for a side hustle, look no further than your head. When's the last time you got a haircut? Or better yet, got paid to get a haircut? The human hair business is booming and Asia is front and center. So who's selling and who's buying? And what makes some strands more valuable than others? We get to the root of it all in this episode with CNA's Loman Min in China and Dung No in Vietnam. Hey, guys. Hello. Hi. Good to be with you. Min Min and Tung, I'm going to start off with a personal question, okay? Have you guys ever colored or permed your hair or do you have coveted virgin locks? Tung, I'm looking at you first. Well, I did change the color of my hair on a few occasions. Uh, to me, <laughs> okay. it's a way to express myself. But I didn't know, not until this assignment, that hair is more than just a form of self-expression. It's big business. And, and Vietnam has been emerging as a key player in that supply chain of the global human hair industry. Another made-in-Vietnam product among footwares, mobile phones, and others that are being exported to the global market. Mm -hmm. How about you, Min Min? I have permed my hair before. Oh. I haven't dyed it, mainly because I'm a bit worried that my editors will flip out if <laughs> I turn up on air with like bright red hair. Yes, of course. There are considerations. And I actually cut off eight inches of hair just a couple of months ago. And I'm kicking myself now because no one paid me anything to do that. Oh, yes. <laughs> so... This story, it's really about an opportunity hidden in plain sight. Hair has so much potential for profit, and one city has really taken advantage of it. Let's start off in China, Min Min. About six in every ten wigs in the world are made in this one particular village that you went to. And it really sounds like the backbone of that community. Tell us about it. Yeah, so I would say six in every 10 wigs is made in this particular city. There are a cluster of villages that make the wigs. And so they're all in this place called Xuchang City. There is one huge company that says they are the largest wig manufacturer in the world. And I think that makes up a big proportion of the impressive statistic you just mentioned. And then there are all these smaller villages that the locals locally talk, call them wig villages because they are literally like hundreds of nondescript shops that are upstream and downstream suppliers of accessories, packaging products, and so on. And there are also these villages where there are literally backyard workshops in villagers' homes. And I visited one of these homes where this lady, she is the second generation business owner of the hair collection business. She literally had huge, huge gunny sacks of mm -hmm. raw human hair in her backyard. And she had several uh, elderly village women that she had employed to help to sort out and organize the hair and pack them into neat bundles. I have to admit, it sounds a little bit creepy to me to see all that human hair. Dung, Vietnam is in direct competition with China and India, but you visited factories, you talked to industry players who say, look, we're not intimidated because we actually have an advantage over other hair. What makes Vietnamese hair stand out? It's the quality, Teresa. In terms of price and scale, China and India are doing much better than Vietnam in this trade, but the quality makes Vietnam different. I couldn't find any scientific evidence for this, but insiders mm -hmm. in this uh, industry in Vietnam, human hair, told me that the K2 
characteristics of human hair from Vietnam is preferred among many consumers. The hair is straight, uh, thick, silky, and it lasts longer. In many rural parts of Vietnam, women often keep their hair very long because of local cultural norms and beauty standards. And this is especially the case um, with some ethnic groups where women keep their hair untouched without any hair cutting since a very young age. And they don't use shampoo to wash their hair. They use oh, wow. traditional herbs. So they, they live in remote areas where shampoo or the money to buy the shampoo is often in short supply. So I was told that the hair of the best quality is the, often the hair that contains head slice because that type of <laughs> hair is free from any chemical impacts of shampoo. So all that factors generate excellent human hair harvests for collectors in terms of quality standards for this industry. So this is the, the founder of a hair factory that I visited in the course of reporting. And he emphasized and he told me about the quality of Vietnamese human hair. I have worked with raw human hair from different places such as Cambodia, Myanmar and Laos. But the quality of Vietnamese human hair is considered the best in Southeast Asia. Hair from Laos, for example, is thin and difficult to process. Hair from Cambodia is often a little wavy or curly. Vietnamese hair is straight, silky, shiny and strong. Industry insiders often consider Vietnam as the top source of human hair. Min Min, we see evidence of the use of human hair throughout Chinese history in calligraphy pens, for example, right? But help me make sense of its use in the modern context today. Where is this demand coming from? Is it more for export or is there a huge market in China domestically? Yeah, so a large proportion of that is for export. America and Africa are huge markets. But as we know, there has been global economic headwinds and inflation in recent months. So export demand has actually been falling, according to the industry players I've been speaking to. They say that the fastest growing market now is actually China's domestic market, which is growing at about 40%. And that's got to do with people's changing attitude towards wigs. It used to be used to cover up issues like hair loss, but now it's more of a fashion statement. People use it to play dress up. And in China, there's also this revival of ancient Chinese fashion known as Hanfu. It's a style of traditional robes worn before the Qing dynasty. And they have these elaborate hairstyles <laughs> in ancient China that is also contributing to this demand for wigs. So a lot of people, they like to dress up in these costumes when they're traveling and visiting historical sites. Like, you know, you can imagine the Beijing's uh, Forbidden City, they would pose in those areas mm -hmm. in their costumes. That's where a small part of the demand is coming from as well. So this is Tian Liang Jun. He is the general manager of the Hair Expo City in Xuchang, which is an entire street dedicated to hair and wigs products. In the past, wearing a wig was a secret that you didn't want others to know. It could be due to medical reasons such as hair loss or chemotherapy. Now, the growth rate of the domestic market is higher than the international market. It is growing at more than 40% or even higher. I can totally picture that. Okay, so we have the hobbies. Uh, they're pushing this demand. But also, there's a medical dimension, Min Min, as well, isn't there? More people losing their hair today? 
That's right. So according to government statistics, one in six Chinese are losing hair, which is very high. And the statistics say eighty-four percent of those under thirties are experiencing hair loss. So that's twenty years earlier than the previous generation, which to me sounds pretty astounding,、mm-hmm. or should I say, very hair-raising statistics. <laughs> It's fascinating that a boom in growing baldness is really spurring on this industry. All right, ahead on CNA correspondent, did you know it's not only long locks that are lucrative, but even those clumps on the floor they could get you some cash too. Be right back. Hello, everyone. My name is Crispina, and I'm Adrian, and we're the hosts of a podcast called Work It. If you've never heard of it, well, it's a good time to tap in. In the last twenty episodes, we've discussed topics like how to negotiate for a salary increase, or how to get along with younger colleagues who have different values from you, which incidentally is our top performing episode. If work consumes your life and you want some perspective on issues like management, stress, even office romance, then this podcast should be on your list. A new episode drops every Monday. Catch us on the CNA app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. It's called black gold for a reason, isn't it, Tung?、Uh, let's、right. crunch the numbers now. How much exactly can people make by selling their hair? And after it's processed and it's on the store shelves, how much is it marked up? I'm not able to sell my hair, Teresa, because it's too short. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's only long hair from girls or women that counts. It's a thirty US dollars for about one hundred grams of hair. So each time someone sells her hair, that person can get about thirty to sixty US dollars, depending on length, thickness, and quality of that person's hair. You can get less if your hair is colored prior to the cut. And for the final hair product, it's sold at a wide range of prices because of different styles, colors, selections, and techniques of the extension clippings on top of the hair. It's normally about. A hundred to two hundred percent higher than the price of raw human hair, depending on the type of hair products. And at the factory where I visited,、uh, most of the sale is done through social media platforms. And that markup—it's because there are so many steps before that hair gets from someone else's head to your head, right? It's not just cut and sell. And you got to see the entire process, Tung. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, there are about a dozen steps of processing before the final products are ready for the market. There's cleaning, sorting, drying, weaving, and there's also applying chemicals to the hair.、Uh, most of these techniques and processes、uh, came from China. The founder of the factory that I visited, he started out simply as a trader of raw human hair, selling raw hair to China. But he learned the techniques ten years ago from an industry insider, and experts from China. He brought、uh, this expert、uh, to Vietnam、uh, and spent a week in his factory in this、uh, village.、Uh, showed him the ropes, and the process cost him dearly. He told me, and and each hair company in Vietnam also maintain a secret formula in of their own in how to mix the different chemicals to treat hair in the process, and different chemical treatment. Creates different products of different colors, different look, and different texture, different long longevity as well. So for the whole factory, at、uh, this factory of five hundred people, it's only him, the founder, 
that knows the, that secret, which he said he developed it over the years. Wow, very long, uh, complex process. And Min Min, for this story, I remember watching it, and you tried on a wig made of human hair, of course. I think it was red. Was it red? It was. Yeah, yeah it was red. Okay. <laughs> How did that feel? I personally have never tried on a wig uh, made of human hair, and I don't think I'd actually be comfortable with that. Yeah, it's also my first time trying on a wig, and I would say, quite surprisingly, it is quite a liberating experience. <laughs> okay, wow! Like because the the moment you put on the wigs, you get to take on like a different character, and they have such outlandish designs, like bright neon green, bright red, different kinds of haircuts that I probably would never spot on a daily <laughs> basis. So it was quite fun trying them on. It's like putting on a new character, but at the same time, I just wore them for a few. Minutes. I imagine if I were wearing it for the whole day, I'd probably feel that it's quite hot and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Tung was smiling and nodding. I think he wishes he had tried on a few wigs himself. Uh, and Tung, he said, these hair products are being sold far and wide. And social media playing a big part in that. And this is one part of your story that made me smile. Take a listen to this short clip of Christy. This one is natural color black. You can see how silky this is. Very soft. That's Christy from Central Africa. But Min Min, she's working in China, right? That's right. Yes, I know many people are very curious. Why are we seeing this African influencer working in literally a, a small town in the middle of China, not even in one of the bigger cosmopolitan coastal cities? I I didn't get to interview her for very long because she wasn't one of my main characters. I was just filming her, doing her broadcasting her live stream. But if I remember correctly, I think when we were chatting off hand. She mentioned that she was studying in China and eventually stayed on and found a job with Rebecca, which is the biggest wig company in Shichang. And Rebecca obviously would like to hire her because one of the biggest buyers are African Americans, so、mm-hmm. she can have a closer connection with their target audience. And China actually offers a number of scholarships to students in Africa. They have this China Africa Friendship Program with scholarships sponsored by the Ministry of Education, and there are a number of other schemes as well. So many students who ended up studying in China would either stay on or they would work for companies with some trade ties with China. And I think. Christy was one of them. Yeah, it's funny because even though I probably wouldn't buy a wig, I could watch her sell those wigs all day. You can really feel or see the texture of that hair. I think、uh, her wrist flicking was very on point. And okay, Tung, it's not just the long hair we're talking about. Even those bits on the floor or on the drain, they don't go to waste, do they? No, they do not let them those sort of hair to go to waste.、Oh. One person can sell the hair once in about every two years, and because it takes time for the hair to grow, but the demand of raw、mm-hmm. human hair is high, so a constant supply of raw material is important, and every single strand of hair counts. So every time someone combs or washes her hair, strands of hair would fall off in natural ways. And in rural parts of Vietnam,、mm-hmm. many people have a habit of gathering, collecting those fallen hairs of their own. Over time, it becomes a bigger bundle of discarded hair, which they can sell for money. And selling hair makes extra income. Thirty or sixty US dollars from selling someone's own hair could make a meaningful difference in rural rural communities in Vietnam. 
This is what a worker at the factory there has to say. Uh, she described to me the work that she was doing in untangle all those discarded hairs. Hair bundles like this one were collected from hair that's fallen after a woman combs or washes her hair. It comes rolled up, so we need to straighten it. When our village picked up this trade, it boosted our income. I can make 4 to 5 million dong, about $160 to $200 per month. I need to tell my husband all those strands on the floor are actually worth something to someone. <laughs> okay, what was really striking to me was how much this human hair trade has changed the lives of the people that you guys met. Min Min and Tung, what has stayed with you or stood out the most to you from covering this story? So for me, it's about taking a look behind the scenes of how these weeks are made and just seeing the mound of human hair <laughs> that are piled up in the backyards of some villagers' home. I just didn't imagine when I, I mean, before I started working on this story that most of the world's wigs come from a single place in China. And I have to confess that the first time I saw those mounds of hair strewn everywhere, it it was a little bit disgusting. <laughs> I, I remember thinking that this is hair from thousands of people. Like, have they been washed? They mm. look so tangled and it's all in a mess. But then these women, they really work magic into their hair strand by strand. They are combing it through and detangling it and then it goes through all these process of, of treatment and ends up being this very intimate product that ends up on your head. So it's very interesting to observe that whole process. Mm -hmm. Most of the people who worked in this industry in Vietnam are from rural area of lower income groups and many were working as street vendors collecting scrap metal before they joined this industry. So this industry really changed many lives, created jobs, incomes and even fortunes for many. And workers at the factory where I visited, many of them are at older ages, around 50 to more than 60 years old, who can't find regular jobs at the regular factories making shirts or shoes because of their age. But a job at those human hair factory works for them. So um, the economic returns of the industry is quite impressive. I loved your stories, guys. You know, I really have to plug your TV packages. They were so good. I think they're my favorite stories of the year. So those of you listening, you have to go to YouTube or head to cna.asia and watch these packages. You're not going to regret it. Thanks so much, Min Min and Tung. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Teresa. The TV version of CNA Correspondent airs on CNA every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. And catch up with them anytime on CNA.Asia. The team behind this podcast is Saya Wynn, Clara Ong, Crispina Robert, and me, Teresa Tang. Thanks for joining us.